I just recently bought some uh, film, I, you know, a hundred, a hundred foot roll of Tri-X 400. Cause uh, it's been a while um, since I shot any Tri-X and, uh, and it's a film that I really grew up on. Um, it was the film that I, uh, it was Tri-X and HP five. I would go back and forth. Sometimes you could fi- find Tri-X for, 50 cents less and sometimes you could find hp5 for 50 cents less um so i'd buy whichever one was cheaper and when i was at the university of minnesota and i was doing my um first you know learning you know uh, college photography classes uh they bulk rolled um triax and um and plus x and so I would always go for the Trix. I like the grain. I've always liked the grain. So here's kind of what I want to talk to you guys about. Now, I, I want to, uh, before I do that, I want to really explain that on this question, I am all over the place. Um, I, and I haven't asked it yet, but uh, I'm, I will shoot. I love, I love cheap film. So uh, ultra fine 400, ultra fine 100. Um, I love those films. Uh, they're good films. They look good to me. Um, and they're cheap. So I, I buy that quite a bit. Um, and, um, but I, I want to know really what, what film stock, what film, um, is it that you guys really gravitate towards? Do you have a, a go-to? I mean, do you have, um, like a stock of film that you are saving. And I'll tell you about uh, a stock of film that I have. Um, back about three and a half years ago, just after they discontinued Acros, um, I bought four 100-foot uh, cans of, um, what was it? What um it uh it was Arista, not Arista, it was Freestyle's brand of of Acros. And I can't remember what it is right now. It's yeah, for some reason. Legacy Pro, that's what it was. Legacy Pro 100. Um, and then I also got a couple of reels of uh of Legacy Pro 400, which is like 400 speed Neopan. Um and I hoard those right now. I am, I still have some of it in the freezer unrolled or, you know, in bulk roll. Um, and it's, it's like, I'm husbanding this, this resource. Um, and uh, because Neopan too at $15 a, uh, a roll is probably not going to serve me anywhere near as well as this frozen stuff that I have. So so that's probably maybe the most premium that I have. Um, but I want I want to know what film stocks do you guys gravitate towards? And um, what is it? Uh, is there anything that is discontinued that you would love to see br- brought back? Um, yeah, uh, Nick, why don't you hit this first? I know you, you talked with the um, Classic Lenses guys about... Um, you know, pairing lenses with film, but um, and yeah, so be different I, situations, you know, uh, you yeah. know, large format, you like this, all that. So ever since I started back into analog, so I spent years shooting slide film um, because it was what I had to do for my work. And it was also kind of what you did back then. Like even when I was traveling, 
right. slides were the thing. Like it was 35 millimeter. You wanted the best quality and then you wanted to show a slideshow later, you know, so it was the technology that I used for years. But after, you know, 10 years of digitally taking pictures, I, when I went back to film and suddenly was scanning it and dealing with it uh, as a digital product to process, I got, I fell in love with color print film. And so that's really almost all I shoot. I've, I've shot a little black and white, but a few slides here and there, but it's color print film that I'm focused on. And the reason is because, you know, I have a, a full dark room in my, in my computer, so I can really get the color and the, the high resolution, get all that stuff out of the film. And in the past, when I just got, you know, drugstore prints, I missed all that. I didn't understand like what the film was even for. It just seemed like a waste of time. And now it's my favorite. And it's because it has a really wide dynamic range, uh, really interesting color possibilities. And now that I can get, you know, the resolution out of it by scanning it, mm -hmm. um, it seems like, and, and I love color. I just, it's, it's funny. I, I like black and white. It just seems that I'm interested in this sort of collision between, you know, my own like inability to control what's going to happen. And the, the fact that it's, the film is sort of getting all the information that's there as best it can. And I just like struggling with that. I really like color images. I think maybe it's because I kind of still react to photography as it, as a, as if I was still a painter, as if I was still trying to make this very rich, vivid rendering of the way the world is and the way, it, you know, the way I feel about it. And to me, that's just always this color. So, I, I constantly kind of ping pong back and forth between different films. I'll get, you know, go on a, a kick with it. And one of the things is that where I live that the uh, seasonal changes are really dramatic. Like the lighting changes several times a year a lot. And so it's not really possible to just use one film stock in all through the year. It, it's constantly okay. changing. So I, the ones I keep coming back to are uh, Fuji Pro 400H. Portra 160, Ektar 100. Those are like my main mainstays. Now there are others I've really enjoyed. And, and, you know, the other one is sometimes get great results out of Fuji Superior, which is the drugstore Fuji yeah. film. Um, but the fact is that it's, it's inconsistent, or at least the way I use it, it's inconsistent. Um, and I don't never know quite what to expect. Uh, and I do like to have some, certainty that i'm going to at least enjoy the results <laughs> so <laughs> i tend to go with the better quality films yeah. even if they're a little more expensive and i'll buy them in bulk you know through the mail and uh, not 100 foot rolls but you know pro bricks of five from yeah. inexpensive sources and so that's those are the films i keep coming back to and part of it is that i keep everything all my images are like filed by what they are what kind of film I used and all that and I'll go back and look and see well what worked for me a lot and I'll keep coming back to those those three primary ones I like portrait 400 but I've also sometimes it's just too candy coated and too hot too warm and too friendly and you know too yeah. much not the lighting that we have here <laughs> so yeah I haven't shot much uh portrait 400 I do believe that the perfect color film is portrait 160 I think that that is a perfect film it uh, is and that sometimes doesn't work because sometimes uh, i want something a little stranger but it is a beautiful film 
I really agree. The other one is I've hardly ever gotten to use it because it's expensive and hard to find. But there's a Fuji 160, a a Pro 160 that's also really good. Um, But I just it's expensive and hard to find. So there are some uh, hundred foot rolls that are popping up on eBay every once in a while, but they're about 150 bucks. Yeah. And and I I really uh, that's probably worth it. Right. If you if you put it on a per roll uh, comparison against Portra 160, I think it's probably, and especially if, it, if it's been uh, freezer kept. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I've had some things that are told, we've told it's freezer kept, but you know, yeah. um, if, if, if freezer might be relative. Um, yeah. If it's frozen half the year in a Bulgarian warehouse and it's, you know, 800 degrees in that same Bulgarian warehouse, the other half of the year, they can say it's, it's been frozen for at least half the time I've owned, owned it. I've had some of that. Um, and you know what I do with all that burned film? I shoot it in pinhole cameras. It works very well in pinhole cameras. Uh, one of the things I was going to say about color print film, what I've been shooting a lot of, because once again, I bought, um, I think I bought 30 rolls. No, it was more than that. Yeah, 10, 10 three packs. Maybe it was 10 four packs of uh, Fuji 200 um, you know, drugstore film. And um, I have that in, in my freezer. I've been shooting that for about two years. And there's nothing, nothing wrong with that film at all. That is yeah, it's great tint film. Yep. Um, so it's nothing, you know, to write home about with its speed or its grain. It's just, it'll render what you see, uh, which is good. Mm-hmm. Um, Ethan, what do you think about uh, film stocks? Um, do you have a preference or are you uh, cost or um, or are you going to tell us that your favorite film stock is multi-grade four? <laughs> um, I do like shooting paper. So I can say I'm a garbage can in at least four languages when uh, referring to... Do you eat something? Yes, I eat it. <laughs> Whatever it is, I'm on a high everything diet, you know. And I, I kind of feel You're like on a seafood this... diet. You seafood, you eat yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel the same way about uh, film. Um, for many years, you know, when I was buying at camera stores, if I bought all of your cameras uh, or your film cameras, probably you would sell me your fridge full of film cheap, and I shot it all. Um, but you know, I have some favorites. Um, I don't really hoard film so much uh, because fresh film is usually better than even my favorite emulsion that's old. I have some Tri-X 50 or T-Max. Yeah, Tri-X 50 that's like, you know, unrefrigerated from 20, 30 years ago. I have some some GAF slash, um, uh, oh, I forget what the other brand is uh, because it it changed brands, but Hypan. Uh, that at one point was, you know, it was uh, an off-brand of um, uh, of Tri-X uh, that I uh, shoot at about 25 or 50, um, yeah. you know, because it, it yeah. sat in somebody's basement. And a bunch of people bought it all at the same time, including uh, Matt um, from uh, Box of Cameras. Um, so, in fact, I knew him from shooting that before either of us were doing podcasts, so. So I do have about 20 rolls of the old Fuji Acros that I bought when it was discontinued. And yeah. I thought, well, I'd, I'd like to at least try this stuff. You know, I've always wanted to try it. And so it's 
sitting in the fridge. I finally shot three rolls. It's 120. Um, yeah. And I really liked the results, which I didn't expect because it's kind of it's sort of like the slide film of print film. You know, it's got a it's got a really strong. Uh, I mean, it covers a wide range, but everything's either black or white. Like they're very yeah, little midtone. It does, yeah. yeah. The midtones are are like almost fugitive, you know, and the blacks really really dark. And that's but sometimes that's... that's great. And I I was shooting sort of a familiar environment, and I got back all these unfamiliar images, and that was really fun. Yeah. That's one of the reason why pinhole uh, users like Acros is because, well, one, it has um, no reci- reciprocity curve. Uh, right. But the other one is, uh, to me, one of the problems with pinhole is you get really low contrast mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of situations. And that just cranks that contrast up. And so you get, a, you know, just um, straight scan is uh, is pretty pretty solid um and it, the think the secret sauce of that film is that it gives you very high contrast without being harsh like somehow yes. th- there's like a fall off into the shadows that's yeah. it's like passing out you know right. <laughs> it, it says you don't quite know how it happened or when it happened but so it's dark now over here in this so part shooting, of the picture <laughs> shooting acros is kind of like getting a good nod on right yeah <laughs> <laughs> right exactly <laughs> Uh, okay. Um, so what do you guys say? You want to start the homemade camera podcast and the YouTube video extravaganza show? I, I didn't tell you what my favorite film is. Well, you had an option. You had, okay, okay, so let's, let's start the start. podcast. No, let's not start. Let's do it. Who cares what my favorite no, film yeah, is? Tell us what your favorite film is. Uh, uh I really like Portrait 160. Yeah. I like, uh, T-Max 100 in T-Max RS developer. I also I like, like, uh, Tri-X. 400 or hp5 like for you know grainier uh, yeah. darker stuff and yeah, there's a reason so, not a surprise there's a reason certain films are popular you know they just yeah. are good yeah grew up with them right right and and double x that's a, another thing um not I, I i would okay. i'd love to get another 100 foot roll of that um so i've, just, I I've decided uh I've decided to give myself uh, a jolt and shoot totally the exact opposite of what I just said. Uh, this is another thing that I like to do now and again. So I bought a bunch of Velvia 100 uh-huh. and someone gave me a very large quantity of large format Velvia that awesome. I'm like gearing up to just shoot. And I think I might shoot it in the dark of winter <laughs> to make it even more you ridiculous. Know, when I was in <laughs> high school, I was super Perfect. into Velvia 50. That's like all we had. Uh, in terms of Elvia, and I love that it would just make everything just crazy colors, like so saturated. But as as I have uh, gotten older, I've wanted things to look a little bit more real and yeah. not everything be on an acid trip all the time. But yeah, that well, I'm Velvia, forcing myself to go there this this winter. Yeah, but I mean, that Velvia in the winter is going to give you some browns that are going to just mm-hmm. knock your yep. socks off. So right. That, right. That, that's yeah, cool. if it's Right. If it's dark enough, if things are all going monochrome, it doesn't hurt to to amp up the color a little bit. Okay. Start. Are you guys ready to start? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We're sure.
Okay, for you folks looking and watching on YouTube, uh, what you're looking at is a lens. Now, this lens is made out of a uh, paper towel tube and two achromat lenses that I got from the uh, from Surplus Shed. So it's surplusshed.com. That's where I got them. Um, and it, uh, it, essentially, these are just experiments. I bought three pairs of lenses. I bought a 138. This, that's what we're looking at here. A pair of uh, 138 millimeter lenses, a pair of, I think, 175s, and a pair of 250 lenses. Um, and what it was all about is, if you guys listened to... Um, uh, the large format uh, photography podcast, the LFPP, um, in the last month, you guys are actually, I guess it would be a couple months ago uh, by the time this thing comes out. But uh, you heard Eric Maffey. Um, and Eric Maffey is somebody who makes his own lenses. And he refers to him as dollar bill lenses because early ones, he just in order to make a barrel, he got these, you know, two lens elements in order, order to make a barrel, he rolled them in a dollar bill. So um, he talked a little bit about having a formula and the formula will be in the show notes, a formula of how to figure out what, um, if you put two achromat lenses together, one in the front, one in the back, how far you have to space them apart to get a focal length that you want, and then how far your back focal distance is. Now, back focal distance is somewhat like, okay, so here's the back of that, the, uh, okay, so the back of the front element, or the back of the back element is about here. Um, and so these are actually, I think, 10 millimeters apart, the two elements. So there's an element up here, there's an element down there. There's the back of the last one. The back focal distance is like what we would call the flange focal distance, but it's actually measured from the back of the glass of the second lens. So it's a, it's a formula to figure out, okay, so I bought some lenses to put on my RB, my Graflex RB um, camera. I mean, that's what the original idea was for these lenses, but I did not have, I, I didn't do the formulas right. And I was just kind of flailing around um, trying to figure out how to change one setting to make the other setting do this and, you know, uh, all that type of thing. So I just decided to buy um, a, a couple of sets of lenses and use them back and forth and then plug them into the formula and see whether I had the formula figured out right. And the good thing is, I do have the formula figured out correctly. So I have this lens. This is, oh, and I don't, I'm, I'm going to have to bring up my spreadsheet. I did a spreadsheet with the formula. So I can, I can dump in values and get values out so I can see whether or not they're useful. Um, and as opposed to doing the math for each one. Um, and, you know, and, and you make one adjustment, like the distance between these two lenses that changes your, both your focal distance of the lens and the focal length of the lens, and it changes the back focal distance. Okay. 
So those two things get changed, but it's not linear. It's not like if you add 10 millimeters here, it's going to come out and change it by 40% there. It, 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 it's kind of oscillates, okay, um, because of the formula. At least that's what I can tell. I am not a mathematician. I'm not even good at math. But, um, and in fact, I sent the formula to Ethan uh, to have him check it out to make sure whether or not I got it correct. And, uh, and he never got back with me. I also, yeah, I got busy and yeah. missed it. But I do have this sheet from calculating uh, Bellows dimensions from oh, okay. way back when. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So that's a, oh, God. Yeah, exactly. But um, so what the deal is, is I'm going to put on our website. Uh, a spreadsheet that will allow you to just pump numbers in and you're going to be able to get it up. So it's just going to be an Excel. So you have to own Excel or something that'll take an Excel file. Put it on, put it on Google Docs, Graham. I'll put it on Google Docs and uh, have it uh, free for anybody to download. That sounds good. Um, and it'll be in the show notes. So the whole point is, so I've got this one. Um, then I've got another one and I actually wrote on the side of this one. This is a 105 millimeter lens and it has a 70 millimeter back focal distance. So, um, oh, I think this might've slipped because they're not real. Oh no, that's perfect. So you can really see that. And if I move it in and out away from the camera, it's the camera's focal uh, focus on there, but you can see, you can get some really decent, sharp, images out of these. Now I have to figure out what a barrel I'm going to do, what barrel I'm going to do. And I'm going to drop a waterhouse stop in the middle of these. Um, Dude, man, you have a 3d printer. I have a 3d printer. I just haven't designed these. These came on uh, Tuesday and I started messing around with them on Wednesday and we are recording on Friday. So that's how new they are. And this material, by the way, the focal material on this is um, uh, just some, uh, plastic that's frosted plastic that came, um, with an iPad or an I, uh, iPhone case that I got. So, okay. So for the listeners that can't yeah. see the images, uh, yeah. Graham is Thank holding you. up to his camera, a cardboard tube with yeah. two glass lenses inside it spaced apart. And at the proper focus distance behind those lenses, there is a piece of frosted a semi-transparent plastic stuck on the end of the tube to act as a ground glass. And so he can just point it and it's like a little telescope and you can see it, but you can see the image yeah. projected on that frosted plastic at the back. It, it's kind of like a, a lens camera obscura, you know, is what, is what we're looking at here. Uh, and if you look, it, it's upside down. Um, so, um, and then I have another one. I don't think that this, this one may or may not. Oh yeah. That actually shows pretty good. Um, so, um, yeah, that one shows pretty good. These are two, two fifties that are sitting this distance apart. You can see, uh, so they're sitting maybe 40 millimeters apart. And it's two 250s, and it's got a back focal of 120 millimeters. And the idea with this is, as I said, I was um, my 4x4 Graflex, well, it's a uh, 3x4 Graflex RB SLR. Um, I was um, 
looking for lenses for this. I don't have a long enough back focal distance to this would interfere. I need to be about 150 millimeters. And so these lenses will not work with that camera, um, but it will work with another camera. And I have no idea what I'm going to do with these. But I just wanted to wanted to say one of the things that when we started this podcast, and I'm going to go back to we're not I'm no longer holding up um, uh, lenses. Um, but when we started this podcast way back, um, however long time ago it was, um, one of the things that I wanted to be able to do was to make lenses. Um, I wanted to be able to, um, you know, build shutters and build lenses and, you know, essentially do the whole thing. And this gets me a little bit further down. So first of all, Total thanks to Eric Matthew. Um, and he is at Eric Matthew. I'll have him in the show notes, but at Eric Matthew on, and that's M-A-E-R-I-C. Let me make sure. Uh, it's E-R-I-K-M-A-T-H-Y on Instagram. And um, uh, it, he's worth looking into. He did a bunch of work with a four by five camera and some of these homemade lenses. And he was, uh, and um, uh, Adobe did a little, did a documentary on him, apparently followed him around, did a documentary. You can hear that more on an episode of the large format photography podcast. Um, And it's worth, it's two full episodes and it's worth it's worth the discussion, worth hearing that. Now, here's one of the things that I think is really interesting. When we had Nicole Small on our show, and that's got to be about a year ago, she mentioned him. And it's like, I, I said, you know, noted him down and I looked him up and I never followed him on Instagram. I looked up what he was doing. And, and, you know, it's one of those things that in passing, I didn't really, you know, I mean, I heard heard about it, and I heard the lenses, and it's like it. it, it, it I lost it on my, um, you know, it, it left my front brain. Um, but she mentioned him, and she mentioned his dollar bill lenses, which I think are. Um, uh, I think it's interesting. Um, I think it's interesting that that she knew to, you know, she was interested in talking about him uh, back then and what he was doing with these with these lenses. So this is getting me further down the path of actually building a fully homemade camera. Now, my next thing is a shutter. Um, and actually, if you look on, I'm gonna get I'm gonna talk about Eric again. If you look on his Instagram over the last uh, several weeks, he is working with a guillotine shutter that is. Uh, it's gravity operated drop in front of the lens and it's, and it's a, 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 you know, just perfect guillotine shutter system. So um, it is uh, you know, that's two parts of what my goal is. Now I built a camera body. Um, I have the Esquilax, which is that four by 10 view camera. 
Um, and I have other camera bodies, of course. I can, um, I can certainly put one of these cameras on a Kraken or one of my other, um, you know, like uh, I here's the Kraken six four five. Um, you know, the different versions of the Kraken. I can do that, but I'm getting closer to this goal of building a fully functional, uh, pretty highly featured um, camera. So I'm really excited about that. Um, let me talk a little bit about these lenses. Each one of these lenses, these lens elements, and the formula, I don't know if they only work with achromats, but that was what uh, Eric talked about. But when you search these, when you search for lenses on surplus shed, you can search by type and um, achromat is one of the types um, that you can search via. And um, yeah, once again, I think that it's worth uh, looking for. Do you guys, um, are, are you guys excited about possibly going down this path too? Or yeah, are you gonna just I'm halfway down that path in a okay. project that's waiting on the laser cutter, but. Um, oh, you said that on your something project and I talked over you. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, I, I have it in two shelved projects. I have a, a drawer full of achromat lenses uh, for building rapid rectilinears and such uh but is that you know, what this is that what these things are called rapid rectilinears if they're too yeah so i mean there's a bunch of different names but like there's uh names for different lens formula so an achromat is two elements back to back that uh correct a bunch of chromatic aberration right and you put mm -hmm. two of them together and they correct a lot of other uh, aberrations and actually i would say like the dual achromat or or rapid rectilinear is probably like one of the first reasonable uh, lens designs. So the interesting thing about it is because it takes advantage of uh, symmetry rather than asymmetrical lens design, which requires a ton of math and really a computer, um, you can build some pretty reasonable rapid rectilinears um, with off-the-shelf parts because you just need two of something whatever they are and the math is pretty simple rather than um you know building something like a planar which is semi-symmetrical but you need a lot of different matched elements that you might not be able to get off the shelf and i think the way to describe why that works is that a symmetrical lens basically takes the light does something to it and then you run it through its its you know its its uh, copy and that undoes the same things that you just did and kind of brings it back into the realm of, nor of normalcy. And that's obviously an oversimplification, but I think that's, but I think that's sort of the, the key is that, you know, whatever you did to the thing with the first lens, you can undo with the second one without, as you say, having to do a ton of math. Um, yeah. with, when I did my over oversimplified description, it's, is there a, like a really big problem with that or isn't that part of what's going on with this? Yeah, lens? no, I mean, like you, you have nailed it, but okay. with language that's uh, not like if, if you, it is. Um, the language was too imprecise. Sure. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That, that it, was, it wasn't a skeptical face. Like you are exactly right about undoing uh, a lot of the aberrations of the first lens with the second lens, but um you're not exactly undoing what you 
did on the first lens. Otherwise, you would be defocusing. I, I have right, no problem right. so, with your so what explanation other than it's imprecise. Right. So it's a correction rather than, you know, it's specifically that it's a, the corrective measures that, that you're doing right. symmetrically. Right? Yeah. And the, there are better asymmetric ways, obviously, to correct for you know, uh, coma and barrel distortion, yada, yada. But um, it's, it's the simplest one to do and, and possibly the only one to be able to do with off-the-shelf parts. Right, and you get a consistent kind of effect no matter which set of lenses you're playing with. So it's easier to predict what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Symmetry is, is always your friend when you don't have uh, MATLAB or, or the, you know, even if you do have MATLAB, uh, the ability to produce those things that you can calculate. Yeah. Yep. And asymmetrical creatures are pretty rare. Oh, here comes. Oh yeah. Rams. Okay. So uh, for those of you who are watching on YouTube, um, these are some, uh, some lens formula uh, elements that I have uh, calculated. So um, here is actually the formula right there um and it's the focal length equals um the focal length of lens one times the focal length of lens two divided by the focal length of lens one plus the focal length of lens two minus the distance between the two elements so that's the focal length and i i'm gonna i'm just talking through it for um for, you know, if you're driving, don't, don't jot it down, please. Uh, the back focal length, which is the distance from the back lens to uh, your point of focus, is the front element, oh, excuse me, sorry, the back element, the focal length of the back element, times the distance between the two minus the front element, divided by the distance between the two minus the front element plus the back element. So, uh, so yeah, this is a, this is a formula, but anyway, so I plugged this in. This is a here. very complex formula that does not, I mean, it's a more general case than the symmetrical version, but okay. I see like lens formula one here. Oh right? using yeah. And I've got lens formula one uh, and, and I just did different ones all over the place. So Graham, so, I find it very disturbing that your measurements are taken out to eight decimal places. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, I mean, that's Excel um, because I'm certainly, if I put them 10 millimeters apart, they're probably 9.7 millimeters. Got to set those right? significant figures, baby. Yeah. So, so let's take a look at, at this one over here. Okay. So I'm just, for those of you listening, um, it has uh, three places that I can enter stuff, which is the focal length of the front lens, focal length of the back lens, and the separation between the two. And then the formula calculates two things. It calculates the focal length and the distance that lens pair has to be. Okay. I have a, a, uh, I don't know, correction, but a, a nit to pick with you in this thing is you call it back focal length, which I, uh -huh. I texted you about before I uh, lost the thread on this. Um, what that really is, is flange focal distance or it infinity is, flange focal it's distance? It's not. And here's the reason why. Just because the flange could be anywhere in the middle you, of the lens. You're, you're building this. A flange is a very specific place 
on very specific. Okay, so think of the Mir 3. Am I right? The Mir 3, 35 millimeter Russian. Right. I mean, build? okay, yeah. you, you can okay. put the flange so, anywhere along it, but but yeah. back focal length oh. is okay. a terrible term. Okay, so it is the distance from the back of the back lens to the recording media. Right, I would call so, that infinity flange distance, although yeah, that's not what you would get no in a flange. low format lens. There's okay, no okay. flange on my paper tube, right? Okay. So here, let me let me talk about the Mir 3 again. The Mir 3, for those of you who, who are, and Nick is, is holding one up, it is a lens that has a back element that, it, that enters the, the, um, the, the body of the camera um, and sits almost at, the sensor almost at the uh, film plane. And yeah, I mean, to be fair, like almost no lens has the flange co-located with the rear element. Like right. either it's right. in front or it's behind. I get it. But the back focal length is, I, it, it bothers me and confused me. <laughs> Can we come up with a new name for it? Okay. Yes. Um, it, it The Ethan measurement is okay. the distance from the back lens. So it is, um, it, it, we're going to measure it in, um, in Ethan's. You are how many centimeters tall? Uh, like 190, maybe? 190. So this is 20, this is 40. <laughs> so 190 divided by 40. So it's a point, um, it is a point zero two one or something like that, uh, Ethan measurement. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let, let's get back to the way the, the formula works. And you can call it whatever you want. The, the back focal length is actually, I have come up with, the back focal length is actually something that you will find quite often in pre-World War II lens information. Okay, so you will actually find that quite often. It is not a totally made up measurement okay. or, or steps. So okay. I've, I've found it when I was doing all of the lens uh, database for uh, for the Kraken. Uh, one of the things I had to figure out was how far back, you know. So sometimes you'll see that listed as back focal length. So what confused distance. me about it is often um, on like a compound lens in physics, we would calculate not only like, so if you have, you know, the object, the lens and the, the plane, right, the the focal length is uh, this, you know, this uh, this distance between the lens and, or the compound lens and the film plane. And often yeah. you will calculate a back focal point this way if you were to project parallel light rays through uh, okay. so you're, backwards. You're and using I, that term for another measurement. And uh, not exactly that term, but a very similar term. Okay. Uh, okay. It, it confused me for uh, like an hour staring at it before I... Okay. So, so this, yeah, we could do a stand in for flange focal distance, but the flange doesn't occur until you build the barrel. Sure. And we're just talking about the lens elements. Yep. So, okay. So here, let me, let me put this in. So in this case that I am looking at in, um, in the, the screen oh, share. Let, let, let me stop you to clarify yeah. one more thing. Uh -huh. um, I assume these, these look like thin lens approximation formulas to me. Um, which takes the thickness of the lens to be zero, uh, which 
which now we're talking about like these measurements are at the center of the lens. So like if you have a uh, biconvex lens, we're talking about like the measurement starting from the actual center. Is that correct? Yes, I believe okay. that you are correct on that. But cool. let me introduce you to my little friend. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> Are you going to pull out a gun now? No, this is my little friend. I'm wearing the and gun this, hat. Is, this is a stack of helicals and helicoids, okay? So these are you, going to be your friend because what you're going to do is you're going to mount this at, a, at some point and you're going to roll that thing back and forth until you find exactly what that that infinity focus is this is a big one this is a um an m65 and it oh it doesn't even have it written on there but it's um like a 25 to uh 55 um so what so you're going to have to figure that out at some point it it doesn't matter because i'm not building a lens to put on my fuji I'm building, although I could, in fact, I'm so you're building a camera to put it. on your lens. I'm building a camera lens system, and I will have measured, I will have built a flange for this, and then I will have measured the distance, and then that's where I'm going to put all of that. So, so can you quit quibbling and just let me show Sorry. my little toy? Yes. Okay, let's, thank you. Let's see. Hey, <laughs> um, make your videos out. So, um, okay. Um, do you, uh, you, you guys see my screen, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. So here's the deal. So if you had a hundred millimeter front lens and a 66 millimeter back lens, you separated those lenses by 20 millimeters, you would get a 45 millimeter focal length and it would, the lenses would have to stand off 36 millimeters from the sensor film etc. But it, this is the thing that I've been playing around with because I had to kind of figure it out. So if I do, if I change that 20 to 10, this goes two millimeters up and that goes three millimeters down. Here, I'm going to take it back to 20. Okay. So, and what I said, okay, so the focal length, when I reduce the distance by half from 20 millimeters to 10 millimeters, the focal length of that lens went from 45 to 43. The back focal length went from 36 to 34. So if I do 20, if I do 40, predict what that's going to be, Ethan. Good man, you need Z-Max. These okay. are, these so it's are. Gonna be, uh, I don't need Z-Max because it, 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 this, this is ballparking. This is but, ballparking. Okay, I'm but these tell you nothing a, about the qualities of that lens so like now we're getting away from all sorts of symmetries and so like you know this tells you where to park the elements to get some sort of image in the center yeah. but but um you are allowing yourself too many okay. degrees of we need Wait, we need precision here uh, ethan ethan yeah. I am very interested to hear what it is that this does not do but hold on let me go through the formula Okay, okay. And then and then tell me what is so if if I did if I went from 20 to 10 and this 
and the focal length goes down by t- by three and the back focal length goes down by two, if I go from 20 to 40, I would say the focal length should go up by three. So that should be a 48 and the back focal length should go up by two. That should be a 38 and it's not, it goes the other direction. Okay, so now this is a 52 millimeter lens and it has a back focal length of 31. So there's, what I was trying to say is there's some oscillation and that's what this calculator is really good at figuring. So if you want to play along at home with this system, we go to, and I'm a surplus shed. Okay, we go to surplusshed.com. I am going to do a new screen share. So here is my formula set. I'm going to do lens finder on surplus shed. I'm going to choose an achromat. I'm not going to worry about the diameter, but the bigger diameter. But did, Graham, can you just uh, for a quick second, pull up your formulas again? Yeah, I will in just a second. But the focal length, um, I'm going to, you know, actually let's do it by diameter. Uh, I'm not going to, I'm going to just sort by diameter because you want a big lens. So ascending or descending, we want the big ones first. So I'm going to find the lenses. Now, the problem is that this does um, uh, alphabetical numeral sorting. So we start with 9.9 and eights. And then once we get over 10, we get into the size that we want. So here's a 42 millimeter lens that has a 42 millimeter diameter lens that has a 145 millimeter focal length. So let's put that in both. So it's 145 and 145. So you can get an 80 millimeter lens with a 60 millimeter back focal. And Ethan, we'll get back to it. Well, I just checked your math and your spreadsheet is wrong. Okay, well, fuck you then. Um, (laughs) So because I asked you to check that. I know, I know, I know. Um, but okay, so this is a 145, uh, and then I changed it to 10, and now it's a 75 millimeter lens. I, and this, what I'm changing is just the lens separation. So right. if I make it 100 millimeters across, it's 100 or 100 millimeters difference. Uh, it's a 110 millimeter lens. So you can, I don't think that this is actually wrong. I think that this is right because I've empirically checked it with actual lenses using the actual, the the formula. In fact, these are my lenses right here. So the one that I just showed is a 138, 138, 10 millimeters across. It's got a focal length of about 71 and it's got a back flange focal distance of 66. Now I can't really check the focal length, but I can check the back focal length And that's what I have in my hand right here. And so it does check out whether my math is right or wrong. Well, at least the back focal length uh, that you're talking about, the the distance from the rear element to the, Uh to the, you know, plane of focus, that is accurate. Since you can't check focal length, you don't know if that's exactly right, but you could get an idea. I mean, Um, right, 
Right. And, and focal length is, is angle of view. And until I put it on a frame, that angle of view has no meaning. Right. Yeah. It also tells you where your infinity focus is going to be with with just a straightforward lens. Yeah. No, where infinity focus is from the back focal length or the flange focal distance or whatever, or, or the Ethan mark uh, or the Ethan distance. So, so I just want to clear up something is that there is no oscillation in the focal length uh, dependent upon the, the increase of the distance between the lenses uh-huh. uh, as the lenses get further and further apart, the focal length always gets longer and longer. Uh, now that back focal length could oscillate, but that's like almost a not important uh, measurement, right? Cause okay. can, I mean, I was talking the about the, the back. I was talking about the back focal length. I got you. I got you. Okay. I was not talking about the focal length oscillating the back focal length oscillating, because one of the things that I was trying to do when I first got this was figure out what pairing I could put on my, uh, you know, my 20th century um, uh, Jeff Perry special, um, you know, uh, so I was trying to figure out this because this has a shutter and all I have to do is screw this thing off and stick a lens in and see if it'll work. And I, okay. can, I can get some focus on these. So what, you, the back. what I think would be more I'm useful here, if so, I, I know it's been a long time since a lot of us have done like uh, high school algebra, but what would be more useful, so what you have is like, you have focal length in terms of back focal length, but really you want back focal length in terms of everything else, let's say. No. So in other words, if you, you have want a everything camera, else in terms of back focal length, right? You, so if, that you can make one a fixed, uh, fixed. Oh yeah. I want the formula to say, uh, to, I want to be able to type in back focal length and, uh, or the distance from the lens to the sensor. Right. And, and, and that back focal length, we'll call it that, is yeah. is important on this because your element can't stick back further than a certain distance because it hits the mirror, correct? Right. Yeah, it hits the mirror on that Understood. particular lens. So that's, God, it feels like I'm cross-threading that. I'll put that in a little bit later. Um, but uh, so that's what we're trying to... Uh, but anyway, so I have a formula that figures out some of that information. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so yeah. Um, so I, I think I've, I, I think that there's something valuable here. Um, and I think that there is something that will be, that other people can use to help figure out what they're, what we're doing. Um, so Ethan, here's the deal. I sent you that spreadsheet. If you can get it so that I can type in what focal length I need and, mm-hmm. um, uh, and then I can mess with the other numbers, then that would help me out a lot. But let's, so anyway, so that's how I was making, uh, I made, you know, I just bought three sets of lenses, um, and uh, you know three sets of lens elements just to figure out what the hell I was doing 
And this has gotten me so much further than anything I've ever done before like this. And I'm super excited about that. Even though Ethan has shot me the hell down. No, I mean, I think you're on the right track. You've just, you've allowed yourself uh, already too many degrees of freedom to take advantage fully of symmetries. um, And you're playing around with those those variables in a way that you're reintroducing a lot okay. of the uh, lens aberrations that, you know, normally if we're trying to go up the fidelity curve here, uh, you would yeah. not want to reintroduce, but yeah. Um, without going too far into it. Um, I think I'm going to take this and simplify it for some symmetries, which drops out a lot of the, uh, the issues in the equation and like uh-huh. i'm going to give you back focal length in terms of focal length or focal length in terms of back focal length not being the total focal length of the lens but the um focal length of each one of symmetrical elements uh, mm-hmm. i think i think you know one-to-one variables makes this extremely easy and also will do the best given a pair of achromats at mm-hmm. uh, eliminating uh, okay. I'm, I'm all for that. Um, what I, uh, you know, part of the deal is, um, you know, I bought these things as experimentation and I'm, I am perfectly happy putting together a camera, uh, and a lens package that's all done from empirical observation, um, for this. Now, the idea is we want to be able to predict and we want quality results and anything you can help me with on that. I'm more than thankful for. So, um, so that's the, you know, so, and so, yeah, so we'll, we'll have to see how this goes. Um, and we'll have to see, um, you know, what I can build and what I can't build. Um, but to me, I'm just, I'm torqued. I am, I'm excited about this. Um, so, so yeah, so that's what I've got. I'm also excited about this. I think you're going down the right track. I don't love that you're about to expose a project that I've been working on to the masses to compete with me, but also in, in spirit, I love it and will help. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) Uh, yeah, but you see, I won't go on 800 podcasts to, to support it. So um, you know, it's just it's just we'll our little secret. Um, yeah, that's, that's a, shh. yeah, <laughs> I, I yeah. mean, all of this is available. It, we, we, yeah, exactly. It was well, invented uh, in the 1800s. Yeah, right. Exactly by yeah. John Hiller, Henry Dalmeyer. Okay. Oh, you mean the the achromat is? Is that what you were saying? No, or, the achromat is much older. Uh, uh-huh. The achromat's like a really standard telescope lens, which is why it's available to a lot. Of okay, people. so this is like 14th century technology. No, uh, I, I think, ooh, when was the first uh, Van Leeuwenhoek uh, glass droplet oh, microscope man. is the first glass lens technology, I think. Uh, that, but, that's, isn't that 17th century? Maybe 18th? I think it's yeah, 18th century. My lens history is not good, but yeah. um, they've had... They've had achromats for a long time. 1866 is when they had the rectilinear or the ape planet.
so playing with cameras that have uh, shutters, um, I've been playing with two speed graphics, one that I turned into a bayonet mount camera and the other one that I left intact um, to play with lenses that don't have shutters. And this kind of, you know, become the thing I'm focused on for a while. And this particular camera is a 3-4 uh, speed graphic. So it's the in-between size that you can't really find much film for anymore. It's the adolescent um, speed graphic. Right. right? And, it's but it's a cool eight. camera because it has, it's mu much more compact than the big 4x5. Um, and it, but it has a long bellows throw and a reasonably large um, uh, lens board that you can attach a pretty big lens to. And I've been playing with old medium format lenses and, and barrel lenses and things that you can get cheaply and that, but are have really interesting optical characteristics. And I wanted to shoot on medium format film. So I sent away to 20th century camera for this plastic uh, 3d printed four by five back that screws right onto a three by four camera. And Graham has something similar on his reflex. Yeah. We got those from uh, Graflex. Uh yeah, we got those from 20th century, 20th century camera. camera. Yeah. yeah. Jeff but Perry. when he sent it to me, yeah, when Jeff Perry sent me this, there was a surprise in the package. There was a hand grip designed to bolt right onto the side of a graph, uh, a crown graphic or a speed graphic. However, his was based on the older style cameras, which he had. He didn't have a pacemaker crown graphic, which are kind of the, the pinnacle of the Graflex line, and they have certain advantages. Um, and they have slightly different layout. And so uh, I gave him some feedback and he then made this one that fits perfectly on either three by four or four by five crown and speed graphics. It's got a clever uh, system that makes you only need one bolt on the uh, uh, side tripod mount and it fits really well. It has a cold shoe built in. It has a, uh, a trigger, you know, place to put a cable release in it. Uh, it's got a strap that's adjustable. It's a very, very handy, useful thing that a lot of people will, may want to use on these and cameras. Even if you're using these cameras on a tripod, it's handy to have a, a good, solid way to grab it and adjust it. You know, when you're working your 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 ball mount or whatever on the tripod. Okay, um, and we should and the other thing about is in pro red, pro red. Oh yes, yes, it's yeah. definitely more pro. It's more in pro. red. Yeah. yeah, the first one was black. I like the red one. So it's it's uh, it's a very handy thing that I'm glad to have. Uh, it's kind of nice that it has a, a flash shoe on it because I like to put a I used to like to use viewfinders on these cameras, uh, so that leaves the middle of the camera free for a viewfinder. Um, anyway, it's 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 a super handy thing. The other change in this design is that this four by five back is offset to center roll film right on the middle of the. Uh, uh, lens. So it means that if I'm using, say, a, a lens designed for six by six film, it'll take, you know, advantage of every bit of the image circle. Um, so that gives me the chance to start using lenses that don't have shutters. And I'm making various uh, special custom lens boards for the camera. Here's an example of one which has a Mamiya 645 uh, extension ring just glued into a standard lens board for this camera with epoxy putty. But I also shaped the, the cut I made in the aluminum so that it locks onto the flanges of the uh, bayonet mount on the uh, Mamiya 645 extension ring, which makes it quite a strong connection. 
Now, with this particular camera, I can't hit infinity focus with Mamiya 645 lenses. Their uh, flangeback distance is too short, but it is Wait, an incredible... flangeback or, or is flange, it flangeback. Yeah, okay. no, no, flangeback. <laughs> the flange being the lens board, okay? <laughs> and... But the advantage of that, but the, what's great about using those lenses on this camera is it's like a, it's a macro machine. The 12 inch bellows throw on it is yeah. just like having a macro bellows. What's and the minimum? What's the minimum uh, flange on that? On this particular camera, uh, I think it's right around 60 millimeters. So it's theoretically going to work, but because of the way the lenses mount on the lens board, they get a little too far away. It it doesn't quite get infinity focus with those. It's fine for, you know, the longer flangeback distances like Kiev 88 mount. Um, and I'm making a, a lens board for that. And it's fine for all but the shortest of medium format uh, system camera lenses. And also for uh, barrel lenses, um, I think you can start right around 60 or 70 millimeters with those, depending on how they mount on the board. Um, Anyway, that that's plenty for the size of uh, film I'm using. It's it's going to be mostly um, normal lenses and longer uh, when you get to barrel lenses. But for system lenses, you can use really wide angle uh, lenses, and that's convenient. Um, it's something I'm going to really have fun playing with. Uh, and again, have you all these... uh, have you taken out and shot it yet? Oh yeah, I have, and. I've gotten some film back, but most of my experimental film still needs to be developed. Uh, and I haven't used it with the new back, um, which is going to change. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to open up more possibilities. Um, and then the Speed Baby is set up perfect for the Mamiya 645 lenses. So I already have essentially the same thing for that. Now, this will also take 4 by 5 sheet film, and it will only expose a 3-inch by 4-inch or 3-and-a-quarter by 4-and-a-quarter-inch piece of that but that's still a really good size negative uh and there are quite a few emulsions available in four by five whereas there's only one or two available in three by four so you know you waste a little bit of film but mm-hmm. you, you can shoot a pretty good sized negative so i'm going to try some of this four by five velvia that i have uh with some of these kind of mid-century system lenses especially the russian ones I, which i really like playing with um, so it's it's an it's basically a test bed and experimental candy camera. It's ha- handy to have uh, the bellows because you can just throw something on it and immediately find you know put it in focus and see what it does. Look at the image circle. Uh, with the, that's another thing that's nice about putting a big ground glass on it is that you can see more of the uh, more of what the lens does immediately. So that's useful. All right. Um, so what, uh, where, what direction are you going with this? Are you, uh, are you planning any other mods or anything? You're not going to hack this one apart like you did with the babies, right? Uh, right. This one, I'm going to keep exactly as it is. Um, okay. the one that you, the little speed baby that, or baby speed graphic that you sent me, I am going to probably modify. Um, but I'm still playing with a couple different ideas, um, to see what that does. Uh, but another thing that kind of, this led me to was to start looking at very old barrel lenses. So there are lenses off very old cameras that have no shutter or had a, had a very primitive shutter in the, in the original version. And some of them are really, really interesting optics and nothing I could play with before. Um, So that's a new, another thing that I'm getting into. Uh, 
And the other camera that I have that has a built-in shutter is the digital camera. And the uh, shift stitching device lets you use a pretty big piece of the image circle. And so all these same lenses are going on that system as well. Um, so that's another right. way to, to use these older lenses. That's kind of what I've been planning for my next, uh, you know, my next round of experiments and all the pieces are finally in place. I wanted to point out if you, you're messing with your adjustable lenses with a M65 helical, you can get an adapter and put those right on your Fuji uh, if you want to. Um, that uh, RAF camera out of Moscow makes a, oh, yeah. they make a, a really well machined aluminum uh, Fuji to, uh, well, actually, the one I have is I have a Mimiya 645 to M65 a piece of metal that they sent, which I then put on a Fuji to Mimiya 645 adapter. So you, you can lock these different things together and start using a few lenses on a zillion different cameras. It's kind of the opposite. Most people have one camera and a bunch of lenses, and I'm kind of going the other way and have a limited selection of lenses and put them on the largest number of possible different kinds of cameras. So it's sort of an upside down system, but. I like okay, it. let's see what we got. Nope. Oh, you can barely get an image. Oh, yeah, there we go. There's my neck. I'm freelancing with the uh, with that on there. Okay, I should have done that in my section. But somewhere out there, there's a focal. See, look at that. Look at that. I'm wonder. Oh, I look like Don Cherry. Okay, so Canadians and hockey fans will get that joke. Um, nobody wants to look like Don Cherry. Um, so, um, Ethan, do you have any comments on uh, Nick's, or are you going to just sit there and uh, do math all day? Yeah, yeah, I was, I was doing some math, but I was also listening. Um, mm -hmm. No, I mean that all sounds like a like a reasonable. Uh, set of things to do i also you know i liked what nick said about using his camera as a test bed i also use a speed graphic or a crown graphic actually uh almost exclusively as a test bed when somebody sends me a lens or i get a new lens um yeah all right so the uh the uh, the project that i've got boiling that's uh different than this is um, I suddenly had an idea for making a, a large medium format panoramic camera. So I've been struggling with my usual method of finding old parts and, and making a, some sort of Frankenstein creation. Um, I've just been struggling with how to make a 120 panoramic, cam panoramic camera that was super convenient. And it dawned on me that the mechanism I'm looking for exists on those Calumet, uh, roll film backs that are designed to slip underneath a spring back. Um, and so they, what they do in order to achieve that is they put the entire advanced mechanism out to the side. And then there's a long film gate, um, which slips behind the ground glass of a spring back camera. And there's a, just a simple roller at the opposite side. And the film goes from the mechanism around the roller, across the film gate and back into the take up reel. And what it does is that, it means that if you wanted to modify it and make it cover a much wider film gate, all you have to do essentially is build a light type box and put that little roller over at the far side of it. Um, and nope. with a, what's that? 
I have a prototype of this. The problem is the leader length, right? And yeah. so oh, yeah. you, as you, you go past film. 6 by 12, you start wasting a ton of film. You do waste film. So what I was wondering about was uh, adding an extra leader to it. And, so and you... not only do you waste fil- – adding a leader is clever. Mm-hmm. But not only do you waste film, um, you have to start loading in a dark bag. And – um, no, 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 not not this version, because I want to replace the film holder with my own. Basically, all I'm using is the mechanism. Right. So, but I'm what I'm saying is like um, when you start having to pull the real. So I have one of these that I 3D printed about two years ago that it never quite worked. I might pick it up again. I might not. But like past six by 12, what happens is like you have to pull so much film off of the original roll to come out and back that past six by 12 like you're exposing some of the film just to daylight and and you I don't know. have enough um like you have to be in really subdued light or or probably a dark bag just to load the thing without but but if i can control. add an if i can add some a blank paper that okay will i thought pull, about this too pull it through then the problem with adding a blank paper is now when oh you need a bigger roll roller there you go (laughs) yeah (laughs) all right but that's not totally out of the realm of possibility um no it is not yeah if the if you make it a very thin puller and make your spools a little bit bigger i mean it's possible yes and that's the take it's the take-up spool so that's in your control um you would have to have a non-standard take-up spool anyway it it's something i want to play with and if if it doesn't work it doesn't work but i like the uh the, the idea of something like six by 14 and this mechanism is a seven centimeter. So you'll all have, all you have to do is advance twice to get a 14 centimeter uh, long piece of film in front of a film gate. And even if it does waste a shot, it's still something that would be interesting. Uh, so I don't know, I guess a, a red window version would be, uh, would be less wasteful. been a lot of people have been asking lately um hitting me up on instagram and stuff like that about the zine i am spearheading the homemade camera zine 2020 i'm a little bit behind first of all we did extend the deadline um to the end of august so um uh that was the the final deadline uh we have enough for a 64 page zine um, I am working on um, uh, putting all that material together. I'm not very far into it. Um, uh, work in, you would think that reducing my commute by three hours by teaching from home would give me tons and tons and tons of more time. Uh, but I'm just, um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Okay, so the home uh, teaching COVID situation is not absolutely wonderful but um so i'm i'm a little bit behind um but i hope to catch up in the next month so the plan at this point we will have more on this this has not been finally decided the plan on this point 
is that the zine will be available for an, from an on-demand printer. We send you to the printer, you order it, they print it, they send it to you. Um, and that's the way it will work. That is one of the options. The other one is uh, go through Mixum and God, Mixum really needs to do an on-demand. Uh, but we go through Mixum and, um, and I fulfill them. Uh, believe you will it, regret that. It, well, not only that, but it will get to you a lot quicker if we do this on-demand thing. Um, and also it'll be way, way, way cheaper for international customers. Right? Yes. Because, because then it doesn't have to go ship to you. And then like uh, our, last year, our uh, UK customers, customers uh, or, or members like wound up paying more for shipping than the actual zine cost. It yeah. was, you know. It was expensive to them, and I think I wound up losing like 40 bucks when all was said and done. (laughs) I think on demand will make it cheaper for everybody and maybe slightly more expensive for Americans. That's how Ethan does a fundraiser, 40 in the hole. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, so so anyway, that's coming along. Uh, That is uh, coming along in the future. Uh, I also have another announcement, and this is kind of, maybe this is, uh, this is just something for me to 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 talk about having to do with dark room. Um, I built out a dark room. I got uh, from my neighbor who lives across the street. His brother had had in storage from about 95, 1995, uh, you know, a big four by five Omega and larger and uh, another smaller and larger and, you know, blah, 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 uh, tons of stuff. Um, and I... Um, and I spent, you know, uh, six months working in the dark room and doing dark room stuff and doing things like uh, direct positive, um, you know, black and white uh, on paper stuff. And I've come to the conclusion that um, I should have remembered I'm not good at the dark room. And it and it turned oh, out to be just no, it's not baloney. I'm I'm a crap dark room uh, printer. Um, and it, it has a lot to do with the fact that I don't think I have the patience for the dark room. Um, you know, I don't have the patience for, um, spending an afternoon to get one print. Dude, you are so off brand right now. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, no, I'm actually, I'm not off brand. I am, uh, I'm directly in what I know about myself. So, um, so the whole thing is, um, uh, if you live in Northeast Florida, and I'm going to define it, um, Jacksonville to Ocala and St. Augustine or Daytona to Gainesville. That's the, that's the, the, the space. Um, I will be giving away a four by five in larger. So um, uh, uh, email me, Graham at Homemade Camera. Graham at Homemade Camera. What a nice guy. H-A-M. At homemade camera, it's going to come with some other stuff. Um, uh, I it's not going to be a full complete dark room. Um, I'm going to keep some of the trays, some of the other things because I still have X-ray film to develop and uh, and tray developing X-ray films, uh, especially hey, Graham four by ten X-ray film. It's much easier. Yeah. So you had offered to ship me some RA4 chemistry, yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. seeing as I'm going to put a laser right here, uh-huh. um, I would like you to hang on to that 
chemistry so that I can send you some things in the coming months that you probably don't want. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. Right. We'll, we'll pile that <laughs> all together. Um, and <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. Not a problem. Um, we, yeah, we can do that. Uh, I bought four RA four chemistry to do reverse color prints. Um, like Monsignor Ethan Moses and, um, uh, who's our guy in England who does that? Uh, he's been on our show. Can't Brendan Barry, Brendan Barry. Um, and, and other people have gotten into that. I, I bought that, uh, I bought a kit and, uh, it's going to probably cost me as much to ship it anywhere as I originally paid for it with their, um, you know, bulk shipping that they have prices that they can do. So, um, so I think I'm uh, going to do a few things. I just sold a Leica CL and, and mailed that off today. I think that that might go into a large format uh, printer, or I might put that into something else. So, uh, but, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe it'll be buying lens elements so I can figure out the back focal distance. Back focal distance, Ethan. Um and uh, yeah, back focal length. There we go. Uh, so anyway, that's, and I also, uh, so we're going to also start the shout outs, I think at this point, Eric Mathy, um, at Eric Mathy, E-R-I-K-M-A-T-H-Y. I have a link to his Instagram and his at in the uh, show notes. I also have the formula that he gave me, even though Ethan thinks it's a stupid ass formula. No, I don't think it's a stupid ass formula. I think it's the more complicated generalized formula that makes things harder for you and also possibly harder okay. to get. So, a, uh... so also in the show notes will be the revised Ethan formula that he's going to provide us all that's going to be a lot easier. So, and if you looked at, you guys probably didn't see his face. Those of you who are watching on YouTube, but his face just dropped like, oh crap. Now I've talked myself into doing something. Uh, so, uh, so we will, we'll see whether or not we have an alternative one. So, um, uh, Ethan, do you have any shout outs? Anything? Yeah. Shout out to the classic lenses podcast for and sending me this make Bukake great again hat, uh, which I cannot wear outside. And my girlfriend said to me that she knows it is a anti-Trump joke, but she still finds it repugnant, and so do I. So this will and, be the only time I wear this hat, but I really note, enjoy supporting the Classic Lenses podcast. We should note that we are recording this uh, October, is it the 29th? October 20th? October 30th. Tomorrow is Halloween, uh, which means that, you know, you might think Halloween's the scariest night of the year, but uh, November 2nd will most likely be the scariest night of the year in the U.S., this year, which is election day, we, well, or the last day to cast a vote. Who knows when we're going to know? Isn't that November 3rd? I'm depressed. Yes, the, the, the exorcism is uh, November, November 3rd. 3rd. Whatever, the yeah. Tuesday. The Tuesday. You see, I'm already putting it out of my brain. Um. So, uh, Nick, do you have any shout outs? Anything that you want to? Well, I about? definitely want to. Yeah, I want to make a shout out to Jeff Perry, 20th Century Camera, who has made these really beautifully, beautifully made 3D printed uh, parts for improving and and beefing up your Graflex cameras, which I'm yeah. I'm really enjoying working with. So that 
that's a great source and he does really beautiful work. Not only Thanks, that, uh, let me, let me go a little bit further into that. I, um, uh, I just spent, uh, a little bit of time, uh, in the backwoods of North Carolina to get, uh, into a different mindset from my normal Florida existence. And, oh my God, this year, the leaves were ah, incredible. Okay. So you can check my Instagram for that. Um, but I took my, um, Graflex RB camera, um, complete with the 20th century modified four by four back from, uh, you know, from my three by four camera. Um, it worked wonderfully. I did, um, you know, it, it took a little tiny bit of getting used to there are certain ways you have to set the camera down, um, to not interfere with the back. Um, but once I figured that out, uh, oh my God, this is wonderful. I ended up shooting 22 film holders. Uh, no, Whoa. sorry. Uh, 11 film, no, 22 film holders, 44, no, maybe 11 film holders. And I don't know. I have a bunch of film to develop. Uh, I'm really excited to see how it comes out. Um, a, a four by three R, R, you know, revolving, you know, RB, um, camera uh these are slrs these are big slrs i it's useless with the three by four back but with the four by five back on from 20th century camera oh my god this might be one of my favorite cameras ever it is certainly the second easiest way to shoot four by five after the camera dactyl oh gee okay so uh, but it's great. Hey, and thanks. More thanks for the plug. The I, yeah. I wanted to note that I also talked to Jeff Perry, like when he put out those new backs, I think it was really, really clever. And it, it's the type of like clever engineering that like, it's such a simple and slick solution. You assume that somebody just spent five minutes making it. Uh, but it's kind of like, you know, I, uh, the other day I was working on this drive coupler for a scanner that I'm working on. And I drew a drive coupler in 20 minutes. Like I knew it would work. And then I made a note to myself, like, this is going to be a pain to assemble and to adjust. And like, let me think about this. And then I spent two days kind of staring at the wall, like, uh, thinking about it. And two days later, I drew a drive coupler that was, you know, half as many pieces and much simpler for the user and much better to assemble. And like, you look at that from a design standpoint and you think, man, this guy spent five minutes doing it, which I did, but I spent, you know, 20 minutes, two days before, and then the interim two days thinking about how to simplify and make something slick. And I think Jeff, you know, really, really impressed me with this next set of backs that he's releasing or has released. Um, And by the way, that's, oh, go ahead. Sorry. He's just taken something that worked and worked well and was like already a good product, but like, Mm he sat down and thought about it and sold, you know, hundreds of them. And at, at some point they just like got simpler and could do, you know, twice as many things. And it, it it was really impressive. So also I would like to shout out Jeff Perry for that exact same thing, even though I don't have one because I don't use those cameras. It's, it's the Whistler principle. And um, Nick, you probably know about the Whistler principle. Um, uh, Whistler, the painter, you know, the Whistler's mother guy, um, he, um, painted a portrait, uh, of the wife of some New York social, uh, magnate, wh- whoever it was, uh, he walks in, 
uh, looks at her for uh, 10 or 15 minutes or something like it, it was an incredibly short period of time, uh, goes off and uh, puts together a portrait and, you know, any charges, I don't know, $4,000 or something in, in 1920. Um, the, the guy says, how can you charge that much for this, for me, you know, for this portrait? Um, you only spent, you know, three hours doing it and sued him. And so it goes into, and Whistler's defense was, you are paying for the three hours plus my 35 years of experience. <laughs> and, and that's what, and that's what that is. Yeah. It takes 10 minutes to do it. You know, I mean, it's the classic, um, you, you know, the Beatles know three chords and, you know, and we know four, so we're better than the Beatles. No, you didn't do with those three chords, what the Beatles did. It, it's, it's that kind of principle. So yeah, my kid could have painted that. Okay. Um, Let's see. Uh, Nick, do you have shout outs? Have we asked you already? No. Yeah. Yeah. That was my shout out to Jeff oh, yeah. Perry. Um, That's right. And, and, uh, and kind of, I mean, that's all I have this week. Uh, there's more to talk about. Okay. So uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about our, uh, this is going to, uh, this is our November 8th show. Um, our November 21st and our December 7th shows may or may not happen. We're going to take a little bit of a break. We're going to try to record a couple of shows and get them in. But if you don't hear from us for a month, well, that would be, I guess, a month and a half until December 21st. Don't panic. We're still here. Uh, we've just got, we're all three in time crunches. And um, so, uh, you know, that's part of the deal is I'm going to put some of that time into the zine. Um, uh, I, I want to do some stuff with these lenses. Uh, Ethan has a laser beam coming in. Um, Nick is... Uh, I is also have 100 mongooses to build. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. There's that. My, mongooses? Mongeese? Mongooses. Mongeese. Mongeese. Uh, uh, Greek, not Latin. Or Latin, not Greek. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Whatever. Yeah. Octopuses. You see, I don't even know. Um, uh, and um, so what, what's the next rat-based um, rodent that you're going to uh, name something after? Um, are we going to get like um, uh, a beaver or a, um, or a chipmunk? I want the chipmunk. Um, Stay tuned to find out. Okay, there we go. Uh, we want to thank Robbie Cribs from Soundtrap Studios. He composed our theme music, lets us use it every week. Thank you very much, Robbie. Uh, SoundtrapStudios.com. Don't confuse it with the app. There's also something else there. But if you go to SoundtrapStudios.com, you'll find Robbie. Thanks, Robbie. Thanks, Thanks Robbie. Robbie. Thanks, Robbie.
along and found a, you know, a, a ghost town. So it's the yeah. same idea. You you need a certain number of germs to infect a continent. And right. Yeah. Right. And we did it with smallpox. Mm-hmm. There you go. Um, okay. Go. Oh, and the bitchin handle. Is that um, a 20th century? Handle yeah. Or is that a... Yeah. There's a surprise thing yeah. he sent me. And then I cr- sort of critiqued yeah. it and he refined it. And this is Jeff, the final version. Jeff has a dog that looks like Trudy. Um, Trudy's a pit bull lab mix. Uh, his dog, Alex, I'm looking at the wrong camera. I need to turn my other camera so I don't look at it. Um, so Alex is a Chihuahua pit bull mix. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, what the hell? Oh my God. I wiped out our end. I put the fucking end of that section in the wrong one. Fuck. Uh, no idea about your. T- oh, fuck. Okay. <laughs>